Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. We'll be in Hebrews chapter 1 all the way through chapter 2, verse 4 this morning. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became much more superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like garments. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you remain the same. And your years will never end. To which the angels, to which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet? Are not all the angel, angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. These are the words of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. I wonder uh, if you'd start this morning by just perhaps calling to mind a person or uh, perhaps some persons that you know who have drifted away from the faith, from the Christian faith. Uh, if you're like me, you know you might know a lot, sadly. I hope you don't. But just, just reflect for a minute. I wonder how you would describe what caused these people to give up their faith. Was it sudden or a kind of gradual thing that happened over time? Perhaps a difficult or tragic event or circumstance bad behaviour from Christians or the church perhaps? 
overthinking their five-point Calvinism. That's mm-hmm. not a joke. That's That was a real problem for some of my friends. Did they just grow up, move on, drift away? I wonder how many of you uh, would describe your friends drifting away as a failure to pay attention. Certainly uh, they probably wouldn't, I don't think, but that's the language from our text from Hebrews this morning in verse 1 of chapter 2. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. We're not very good at paying attention anymore, apparently. Uh, That's what we all hear about our lives and ourselves. How many of you have read that little note at the top of an online article that says two-minute read and thought, yeah, too long? (laughs) Um, I mean, I probably don't need to rehearse the way our attention patterns have changed. You're probably already bored of hearing me talk about it. But maybe you feel it already yourself, as I do too. Perhaps you're too young, actually, to remember any different, um, different patterns of how and what we read, how and, and what we watch, how and what we listen. But it's not just our attention spans, uh, perhaps, for reading. We're very much in danger, and perhaps you've heard Reese talk about this or Scott, of a kind of uh, what Reese calls presentism, a tendency to privilege the present, not just in terms of our experience, uh, our expression or our desires, but also our kind of demands, judgments and values about the world. Philosophical presentism. I have a background in philosophy, so I'm not much for sports illustrations, but I often like to talk about (laughs) philosophy. Uh, Philosophical presentism is the belief that only the present exists Most of us probably haven't thought about it uh, quite that much, but are kind of default functional presentists with a tendency to kind of privilege the present day experience and attitudes and to kind of judge and interpret uh, the past, at least in terms of modern values. One of my favourite podcasts, my other uh, connection is always books. So I I listen to podcasts about historical novels and uh, one of them is a feminist podcast about Jane Eyre. Um, but the, the, the women who talk on this podcast can, just can never resist judging the characters in Jane Eyre by their modern feminist commitments. And they can't believe that the characters could actually be motivated by the kinds of uh, religious frameworks that are presented to them by the author. They can't resist that judgment. The kind of sustained attention then, I think, that Christianity demands of us is profoundly radical in this world, in this context. A lifetime given to just one thing. Most Australians will have uh, multiple romantic partners, probably Possibly multiple marriages, many jobs, several careers. Average length of a marriage is about seven years. A career, probably not much longer. Move houses, change cities, change friends, change hobbies, change their favourite craft beer, 
Aside from your footy team, of course, there's probably nothing else that an Australian person might expect to pursue their whole life through. Not just that, but Christianity demands our attention not just uh, to the present, but to the past and to the future. to ancient history, to eternality, to promised futures. It demands our attention not just to a person's actuality, but to their ontology, their teleology, created intentions and purposes. Our present is not the be-all and end-all, but is profoundly inflected by the future and the past. We pay attention to ancient texts, ancient traditions, dead languages. We read the same book over and over and over again, rehearse the same story, pray the same prayers if you're an Anglican, over and over and over again. The title of a book by Eugene Peterson puts it like this, Christianity is a long obedience in the same direction. Perhaps this reflection feels a little bit unfair for this audience because after all, you are the ones who have given up your time and your money to pay attention to the Bible, to train for ministry. You're here at chapel voluntarily listening to a talk that has already gone for more than three minutes. We pay attention. Well, chapter 3 reminds us, in Hebrews we didn't read this part, but chapter 3 reminds us that even the people who God literally rescued from slavery in Egypt with power and miracles and pillars of fire and smoke, who walked through the sea on dry land, who were sustained by miraculous food in the desert, even those people could only remember God for about two seconds before they got distracted. I was watching um, the church we're going to is preaching through uh, Exodus, so I was watching Prince of Egypt, the film, with my kids. Um, I love it. And uh, my son just kind of sat there annoyed at the pharaoh, thinking, like, what is his deal? Can he not see what's happening, you know? God does these things and he's like, Um, you know, as though um, it should be obvious to the Pharaoh, as it was to my son, what's happening here and what he needs to do. But the same phrase that's used of Pharaoh is used in chapter 3 of Hebrews to us. Do not harden your hearts. Turns out paying attention is not just a modern problem, you might be pleased to know. Uh, It's an ancient problem too. We have short memories and wandering hearts. Sometimes short memories are to our advantage. Um, That's the thing about childbirth that I learned, that uh, when a woman has a baby, the mix of hormones that happens in her brain are, are designed to not implant the memories of the pain in your long-term memory. And that's so that 
you might go back and do it again. Sometimes short memories are helpful. But in this case, when it comes to the message that God has spoken, a short memory, verse 3 of chapter 2 says, is perilous. It's life and death. Why do we have so much trouble holding fast to the goodness of God, to the truth of God? Some of us can hold a grudge for a lifetime. We can cultivate it, nurture it, water it. Or we can love a footy team for a lifetime. Why do we have so much trouble cultivating sticking to even just remembering what God has spoken, what God has done. We wonder too about the waning of our love for God, our feeling for him, our affection for him. It's been said though that attention is the most basic form of love. Love cannot grow without attention. And actually, interestingly, maybe ironically, tell me if I'm using that right later on, as much as we struggle to pay attention to God, many of us struggle more with the feeling that maybe God isn't paying enough attention to us, that God isn't present to us, visible to us or felt with us. Actually, that's, I think, one of the common reasons for the lack of faith or drifting away. Philosophers of religion call this the problem of divine hiddenness. And along with the problem of evil, it's kind of one of the big logical and experiential obstacles discussed in philosophy uh, to belief and faith in God. The two are connected, but they're different problems. It it may be that, uh, that the existence of evil and suffering doesn't shake your faith in God. There are ways of thinking that through that might satisfy. But often for believers, it's the experience or, or more pointedly, the lack of experiencing God in the face of suffering. That's the biggest problem. That God feels hidden to us when we need him most. The problem of divine hiddenness is this idea that there are people who long to experience God but don't, long to hear him, see him, but don't, that God seems withdrawn. It's the felt absence of God and God's love which causes us to doubt him. If God loves us, he should or would make that known, right? Attention is love, after all. Uh, So the philosopher Michael Ray has written a good book about this, if you're interested on divine hiddenness, that I think is really helpful. And he makes an argument in that book, you know, in analytical philosophical terms, which uh, turns out is pretty consistent with these chapters from Hebrews, chapters 1 and 2. He says, it turns out you'll probably find that God is likely much more present, much more active than we suppose if only we would look. 
pay attention. Where might he speak? Where might he be felt? Ray says in this book, scripture and liturgy, the Bible and church, God's word and God's body. This is Hebrews 1 to 3. How do we guard against drifting away? How do we know God's attention to us? Pay attention. Pay attention to what? To what God has spoken. Chapter 2 says, what has God spoken? From, from 1 verse 1, in the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. God has spoken, God speaks, God speaks today, chapter 3 says today, 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 all centred in his son. This is what we're instructed to pay attention to. God is not hidden. He is not hiding. He has spoken again and again and again and again in many and various ways, again and again. But just like any person, if you've been in a relationship with a person, any person, if we want to know him, we have to pay attention to the way that God communicates. It's possible, isn't it, of course, for someone to be telling you something, to be speaking, to be communicating, but you are just not seeing it, right? Communication is a, is a two-way thing. This might, so this might sound a little bit harsh, but if we are sitting at home on our own, arms crossed, you know, kind of over our chest saying to God, come on, God, speak, not through the Bible, not through your people, you know, that's cheating. I want you just to talk to me. <laughs> Maybe that's like that, the thing that kids do where they put their fingers in their ears and they, la, 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 and they say, I can't hear you. I don't know if your kids do that. Well, like me asking you a question and then kind of turning up the music really loud so that I can't actually hear how you respond. One of the very saddest conversations of my life was um, when Tom and I caught up, my husband Tom caught up with a young friend who had moved into state for a postgraduate study. And as a young man, this guy had been a part of the church we were in, part of the youth group. Tom had mentored him. As a young, young adult, he was in our small group. He was a youth leader that we kind of taught and trained. And he was kind of basically seen like, you know, the perfect Christian. He was committed and focused and hardworking and amazing but humble and sensible and friendly and just delightful, fun. He was excellent on our mixed netball team as well. <laughs> so, good guy. But when we visited him a little while after he moved into state, he described how he was now feeling unsure about his faith. And he said that when he moved away, he started to wonder how much of his Christian faith was really coming from him and how much was just 
a product of his family, his church or the environment he'd grown up in. And so he decided to try an experiment. When he moved, he decided not to take up any Christian activities, not to find a church, no small group, no ministry, no prayer, no quiet times, no nothing. To test and see, he said, how important his faith really was to him. Now, I mean, I was super sad, but Tom and I were also just super, super mad. <laughs> I mean, this is a really smart guy, but this is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. With entirely predictable results, right? It's not wrong to want to know, to feel that God loves us, to feel assured of his presence and his truth. But the question is, how would we know? How can we know? And what God has promised, what God has given, what God has spoken is his son. This is uh, something of a warning in Hebrews, but also an encouragement, I think, if we can hear it, that to hear and know God is possible if we press into the means that God has given and promised us. Maybe uh, you still think this is a fairly cold view of God's love. Uh, in my family of origin, we're kind of one of these families that are not particularly expressive of love in speech or in kind of affection. We're more a sort of, you know, get on with it and um, love shown in service kind of family. And as a result, there's kind of an inclination perhaps in me to think that my marriage vows, certificate signed 17 years ago, should kind of suffice as a declaration of love for my husband for all time, right? I mean, I married him, I made the promise, I signed the piece of paper, I've never rescinded it, I'm still here, it's still true. Now, my husband, rightly and fairly, wants a little bit more than that from me <laughs> as an assurance of ongoing love and commitment, and that is fair enough. A signed license 17 years ago is not enough for today, unless there's evidence today. So is, is Hebrews asking us to treat God's love, uh, God's acts, as that kind of wedding vow or license signed back when Jesus came and died? Done, happened, that's enough. What more do you want? Uh, in his book, Mike Ray describes this as feeling like maybe God has ghosted us sometime around 33 AD. God spoke to us in his son, but, you know, since the close of the canon, it's basically crickets, tumbleweed. Well, maybe it's not 33 AD. Maybe you started your relationship with God with a strong sense of his voice and presence, a powerful feeling of knowing the truth. But since then, God's love has ebbed away. Maybe the idea of being ghosted by God is resonant to you. 
or people that you know. It's true that Jesus is the ultimate, the final, the fullest revelation of God. There is no new message, no new declaration, no new system still to come. But it's not true that God has stopped speaking. God continues to speak today by his spirit, this same message about his son. That's why chapter 3 can call it today. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Just as my love needs to be spoken and shown, every day God continues to speak by his spirit the message of the gospel. It's not a new message, but the Holy Spirit teaches, applies, confirms and illuminates it afresh. But it's true, too, that you always had to pay attention. I don't know if we're any worse at it than the Israelites were. They literally couldn't even wait for Moses to kind of go up the mountain and come back down before they're already making and worshipping idols. God's people have always had to pay attention to resist the deceitfulness of sin, 3.14 says, and to trust him. Adam and Eve, Abraham, Moses, Noah, David. There's not one of them that didn't have to be called back again and again to pay attention. God spoke in many and various ways, but people weren't always listening. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. We must pay most careful attention. Two things really briefly uh, about what this might mean for us. One uh, kind of for yourselves and one perhaps thinking about your ministry. Firstly, the primary means that God has given us to know him is the Holy Spirit speaking in Scripture, which points us to his son. This is what God has given us. Next week I'll talk a little bit about the church and our role uh, with each other. But we have to read the Bible, (laughs) like actually read it, and especially when we feel that God is distant or hidden. To, To demand that he speak to us some other way is not to respond to what he's giving. If only there was a place I could see what God feels about me, we think. Well, there is. If only there was a place where I could be reminded of what God has done for me. There is a place where we could know what kind of things what God wants us to do or people he wants us to be. There is. And secondly, I wonder if we need to think a little bit and perhaps uh, uh, those of us from different denominational traditions will need to think differently about this, but about how we teach the Bible, um, thinking about this question of divine hiddenness, to not teach the Bible in ways that unravel for people when they face hardships in life. Uh, Scott has preached and written on this really well. He's talked about how when people face suffering or hardship in life, the added challenge for Christians is this kind of potential mismatch between 
what they believe and what they experience and what they expect and what they experience. If something happens to me, I wonder, does God hate me? Did I do something wrong? Is God not good? And the problem of divine hiddenness is this problem that we don't know how God fits in our suffering and our trials or know how to see or feel his love in those times. But it's odd because the whole Bible from start to finish is a story of God accompanying his people through sin and brokenness and suffering and pointing the way to redemption and healing and hope. The Bible has rich resources for suffering people and it's odd perhaps then that so many Christians face their own challenges so unprepared. You can think a bit more about that. Uh, Perhaps in your classes and with your peers. Hebrews warns us to pay careful attention lest we too drift away. God has spoken. Pay attention. Pay attention to what God has done in Christ.